After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. I won't sing it, but it's a song that will pop into a lot of people's heads at this time of year, Josh. It is the most wonderful time of the year because <laughs> well, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for not singing. Not it's singing. funny <laughs> funny how often I would hear that if I actually did sing, but no, it's I won't I won't subject anyone to that. But it it is the most wonderful time of the year because the eight teams in the east and the eight teams in the west have been decided to participate in the Stanley Cup playoffs for 2023. Spring is here. We're excited. Let's get the games going. Absolutely. My favorite time of the season. Some folks get excited for the beginning of the year, and and that's great, too. And the cup final is always just great to have things wrap up. And there's so much on the line there. But between the potential for upsets and the multiple games every night and everything going on, there's nothing like the opening weeks of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It, It is the most wonderful time of the year, Todd. I am psyched. And there will not be any sort of uh, refereeing or officiating questions at all going forward. So we can just really focus on the game. Nobody, nothing really to talk. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't really see that happening. No one has ever had a problem with officiating in the playoffs <laughs> at, ever in NHL history. So we're good. That's why we have the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow us on the social channels. Get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode, Strom pays the price. So does Pionk. Hartman sits for a game. Kick or no kick? And Brindamore has ideas for the refs. And I'm going to save that one for the end because some of his ideas are special are pretty spicy, but also pretty interesting. Yeah, and not not even controversial enough to get him fined. So I think he's, he's put some thought <laughs> well, into this. So far, that you never know. <laughs> but it might be one of those double secret probation fines that we could find. But uh, yes, we'll get into that. Um, there, there was one... At the at the end of a game that I had a little trouble with in terms of, first off, finding what the issue was, it had to do with the Anaheim Ducks and Colorado Avalanche game. I noticed that Ryan Strom was fined $5,000 for unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, I didn't catch the end of the game and I went looking for the incident, but funnily enough, um, it wasn't in the box score, but I did notice that Anaheim's Frank Vetrano took a penalty in overtime. The Av scored the game-winning goal while he was in the box, and then at the time of the goal, Vitrano took a 10-minute misconduct, so that kind of led me from one thing to another, and I figured this is maybe where this $5,000 fine came into play. Yeah, just a little frustration, a little little aggravation there, and a little bit of a water bottle toss, so nothing too devastating, nothing too damaging, nothing dangerous physically, but yeah, Stromer was venting by doing the old water bottle toss out on the ice after the game was decided. So enough to get a fine for it. An easy one from the league. That's uh, basically automatic at this point. 
Yes, we have seen that the cost of a water bottle, you, you know, they're just, they're plastic, they're they're durable, but I, I didn't think that they'd be $5,000, but apparently that is the cost for a water bottle, I guess. It was a replacement cost, isn't it, Josh? They they are expensive and, you know, they might do some damage to the, the branding there. You throw the water bottle out there, might be damaging to one of the partners. I, I'd love to see the water bottle toss being sponsored, that maybe Strom could have paid some of that off by the... All-star skills competition. <laughs> water bottle toss, absolutely. But the dichotomy there between the $5,000 fine for throwing a water bottle at no one in particular versus a physical offense that may have caused injury, it's a little frustrating. I can understand where fans are coming from when it, it's baffling, but we're looking at something that's really a, a respect issue. And then player safety obviously has their fines for dangerous situations. But when you put the two together, it does seem a little bit odd because no one's safety was at risk with a water bottle sliding gently across center ice. $5,000 is, of course, the maximum allowable fine under the collective bargaining agreement. And that was the amount that Neil Pionk wound up paying to the league for his cross-check on Minnesota's Marcus Johansson late in the game. This was a pretty nasty game between the Wild and the Winnipeg Jets as well. Pionk got a major penalty on the play. Um, yeah, it was uh, the fine was, was big, the penalty was big, it was bad, and the, the game was pretty nasty between these two. So it was, it was all well-earned by Neil Pionk, I think. Yeah, it absolutely was. And you're right. That was a chippy affair. He had over 50 minutes in penalties so that, you know, guys are spending enough time in the box. Guys were getting away with things on the ice, some that were called, some that weren't called. But the Pionk penalty absolutely had to be called. That was a dangerous cross check. I thought the major was the right call on the play. You're behind the play at that point. The puck's gone and you're taking a shot right at the ribs, driving him into the boards. So nothing good coming out of that except a potential injury. So I think the major call's right. I, I think a suspension wouldn't have been out of the question. I actually thought we were going to get one. Didn't get one, just a $5,000 fine for Pionk, but I, I expected him to sit. If it were me, Todd, I, I would have looked at a game, maybe even two, just because you have a dangerous play with the potential for serious injury. It's behind the play. It's, it's one of those moments where we don't get into judging intent, but it's hard to say there was anything here other than intent to injure. Yeah, there, there. It's, it's difficult to assess. I mean, you, you, they try to deal with things almost. It seems pragmatically, like okay, dangerous cross check. That's a fine. If it's you know second or third offense, obviously it goes up. But it seems as though there's an initial classification. And, and it doesn't take into account the game circumstances. As as we mentioned, this one was nasty between these two. And I, I think handing out more severe penalties would have been warranted. In fact, I'd like to see a, a cross-check of this nature get an automatic at least one game suspension. But I, 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 that's a funny thing that we'll have to, I guess, debate another day. Yeah, the, the auto suspensions get get tough. And we see it even with some of the major penalties where they require a game misconduct in some of those situations. And sometimes it seems to fit, and other times the league's gone back and pulled out that mandatory game and left it up to the official's discretion. So the, the automatic ones are, are a bit of a challenge. If we can't make it automatic, though, I think there are ones like this that are clear-cut where this was far away from any hockey play. This wasn't a battle for position. This wasn't trying to establish net front presence or clear someone out. This was purely a cross-check into the boards for purposes of injuring an opponent. So yeah, uh, as close to automatic as we could get, I'm, I'm okay with that. 
this one, even the coaches were getting into it by the end of it between Rick Bonus and uh, Dean Evison of the, the Minnesota Wild. I mean, it wasn't full on Bruce Boudreaux and Patrick Waugh from a few years ago where they were pushing the glass back and forth. But but Rick Bonus was waving his arms and yelling at Dean Evison. And I thought Evison played it so cool. He was just standing on the bench, looked over and just kind of gave him a little wave and said, come on over. We'll talk about it. No problem. I mean, it was it was pretty interesting between these two. You know, it's fun when the linesmen are giving him the side eye. But, you know, am I going to have to step in here and break these guys up because uh, it's starting to get heated. <laughs> that would be great. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see it, but I don't ever want to see it. <laughs> have the linesmen have to jump onto the bench to separate the coaches. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, a couple of, uh, let's let's say, more traditional situations to deal with in terms of the NHL. How about some kicked-in goals? Because those are always fun. In the New York Rangers and Toronto Maple Leafs game, Philip Heedle, the puck went in off his skate and into the net. And then, of course, it was late in the game, so that spurred the automatic review of, was it kicked, was it not kicked, and do we allow this goal to stand? It seemed like if I can borrow a phrase, incidental contact with his skate. I don't think he was trying to kick it in, but that's where the puck wound up in the back of the net here. Yeah, this becomes a challenge because pucks off skates are legal in certain situations. We know deflected pucks are okay. We know a player can move his skate in order to deflect the puck in. And the line has typically been around propelling the puck and you don't want a player who's using his foot to propel it. So a, a soccer style backswing, contact, follow through, those I think everybody can agree are kicks, but it's moments like this one where you have a guy approaching the net and it's hard to say. I mean, his his foot definitely made a kicking motion, but when you look at the body contact as he's heading towards the crease, there was contact with the defending player. It's hard to see if he's putting his skate down to stop, to, to gain his balance, or to kick the puck. So we're trying to guess at intent and we see a distinct kicking motion, but man, this this was a tough one, Todd, and we've seen goals this season where I think the kicking motion has been equally or even more distinct and the goal's been allowed to stand or where it's arguable how much momentum was provided by the player's leg movement and how much of that was intended to put the puck in and how much was just them stopping or putting their foot down or regaining their balance. So I can see this one being disallowed just because there was definitely a front to back motion of the skate. It did look like a kick. I I agree with you. I thought it was incidental looking at it, but I had a feeling it was going to be disallowed simply because that front-to-back kicking type of motion was just too clear on this play to let it go. So I was having a, a debate on this one but thought the league was going to overturn it, and they absolutely did. So a tough break for Tito and the Rangers there. Just before we move on to the next kicked goal situation, the league does not compare one to another or in terms of precedent. It's, it's dealing with each individual situation. Like they deal with this Philip Heedle situation on its own. They don't compare it to another one. Is that correct? They do. They look at each one individually, but they will absolutely have standard clips when they have decisions that are made of saying, you know, let's let's put out there why this one was good or why this one wasn't. And they try to calibrate. And that even applies to the officials on certain calls of let's say this was a good penalty. This was maybe a questionable one. And let's make sure we're all on the same page with what types of goals off skates will be allowed and not. So there are consistent reviews in the situation room and among the officials on what types of plays should be penalties or what types of goals should be overturned. So while they're not comparing, I think they do try to maintain that standard. And you you do want to look, even even if it's the morning after, at the Heedle goal and any other kicked in goals and say, are you know, are we being consistent here? Do we need to recalibrate? Because in the room, it's still the same people making the decisions in the situation room. 
okay, well, this goal situation occurred on the same night, and I don't know if you want to compare this one to the Philip Heedle one, but Claude Giroux scored a goal against the Buffalo Sabres. The Ottawa forward was in front of the net. He was kind of falling. He was kind of getting up, and the puck went in off his skate. It looked like that skate was moving forward as he moved the puck I don't know if he was trying to direct it into the net. I don't know if he was trying to direct it towards his stick, but his skate looked to me like it was moving forward and the puck went in the net and the goal was allowed to stand. I think you've summarized it very well. (laughs) (laughs) There's no question his left skate went front to back. There's no question he pushed it and actually propelled the puck with his skate. Whether he was trying to kick it into the net or kick it across the crease or kick it to a teammate is really irrelevant. We've seen calls earlier this year where a goal was disallowed for a distinct kicking motion that was going parallel to the goal line. But if there's a distinct kick, it gets disallowed. And Todd, I'm a little baffled by this one. I saw a clear, intentional front-to-back movement by Giroux's skate. And yet this goal was allowed to stand. So to me, this was a tough one. And when you say, let's compare, if Heedle's goal is disallowed for the kicking motion, I think Giroux's was just as distinct and this was allowed to stand. So. I was a little puzzled on this one. I'm okay if you want to allow both. I'm okay if you want to wave off both. But I think we're we're looking at some inconsistencies here, which is unfortunate for these teams involved because uh, where do we draw the line on the kicking motions now? And I, so if in terms of explanation, then let's have clarity. Let's have understanding. And again, so teams, players, coaches, and most importantly, fans can understand when they're watching this. Let's have the league do a double box. You put both of these goals side by side and show why one was allowed and why one, why the other one was not allowed to stand. I, th- I think that's a simple explanation. I don't think that's an unreasonable request. No, and we've seen coming out of the offseason that the league has put together videos in the past to say, here's the standard for slashing that we'll be calling this year. And here's our examples of slashes that should be called. And here are legal plays that would not be called. They do the same types of presentations at the general manager's meeting when they're talking about a specific type of situation. And I I think doing that for not only the teams, the players, but for the public on kicked in goals to better define it would be really helpful. The alternative would be to just allow them. Adopt the WHL's rule that lets players kick the puck as long as it's not in the goal. Distinct kicking motion? Fine. Let them kick it in. If we're, you know, if we're splitting hairs and debating the calls, why not just change the rule altogether? Let's just let them kick it in. At least then we don't have to debate it. And we can say, hey, you know what? Soccer goals are good. Fine. It's good goal in both these cases. But I, I think it's it's become a real challenge to define it. And without some more information from the league, eh, we might have to think outside the box there. You know, it just occurred to me. If you allow that rule, and I'm I'm okay if you want to allow that rule, but I think that this is the unintended consequences thing. Oh, always. I think what we're going to have is you're going to have the the blue line offside review thing happening again for the kick. Was it an, in contact with the puck when the puck was in the crease? Was the skate oh. in the air or on the ice? I think you got to look at that aspect of it, though. Oh, you're right. We'll be getting goal reviews for where was the puck kicked at the time. You know, it's it's an easier one. I'll, I'll give you that. It's, okay. I think I can live with the nightmare of the fucking crease <laughs> kick review. But at least we can get a little more reasonable. We don't have to have the intent or we don't have to have the interpretation of what is or isn't a kick. 
we can just argue about whether or not the puck was in the crease. Right? Oh yeah, because that's, that's always easy to decide, <laughs> right? Yeah, that'll, that'll be easy. Okay, so let's let's talk about review and penalties and goals and the like. Because you and I both listened to a little bit of Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore on the 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman, who had a good conversation with the Hurricanes coach. And he makes some very strong and very well thought out arguments in terms of review and how officiating could take place. So you'll have more on this if you want to check it out a little deeper on the scoutingtherefs.com website. But a couple of key points. He wants video review on all penalties that are called. Now, the immediate outrage is, oh, the games are going to take six hours to play, which is totally false because Brindamore has kind of thought this out and explains it pretty well, don't you think? Yeah, he has a, a very interesting take on it. So not only is he pulling two of the guys off the ice, so we have two less bodies out there with two guys dedicated in the box to review these penalties. So they're doing it almost real time, like the Situation Room does with goal entries and goals being scored, that they've already got it queued up. They're already taking a look. So it's limited just to penalties that were called. The official immediately takes a second look at it and decides what to do, whether they affirm the call or they overturn the call. But the best part is that the review happens during a TV timeout. So instead of the prescribed TV timeouts that we have that are two to three minutes in length, spaced out in the period, there's a penalty call. Well, we'll just take 30 seconds of that TV timeout right now, go to a quick break, come back and have the answer. And now we can shave that 30 seconds off later. So not only is Rod making good use of the officials, he's, he's making good use of the commercial breaks. I, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. There's a lot of logistics that you have to, to work out in terms of, of breaks and coordinating because it's not just as simple as, oh, stop the game, push a button, and a commercial happens. There's there's logistics that you'd have to work out, but there is there is the germ of a very good idea here that would uh, take away penalties that were miscalls, and if, if someone is called for a trip but is is proven to be innocent, then then the penalties rescinded. I, I really like that idea, and it, it, it makes so much sense too because – they check all the goals to make sure that it was legal. It, it wouldn't take any longer than that. I think that's the really smart part. Yeah, that and that Rod accepted that sometimes calls are going to be missed, right? So sure. we're not going back to look at every situation and saying, hey, did we miss a high stick or did we miss a penalty here? We're just looking at the infractions that were actually called and saying, was this the right call? You know, did the guy step on a stick? Did the puck over glass actually go off of an opponent's stick and not off of the penalized player? All those things where you actually have a penalty being called and a power play that results, which is a pretty key moment in a game, to just validate it, make sure we get it right, and to do it in the same amount of time, and maybe space out those breaks so people don't get up and walk away. You know, now you can just, you can hold tight. The sponsors are happy. You're you're glued to the TV to find out what happens here, so you're not leaving in that 30 seconds. I, I think it's yes. a, a good start from Rod here. You also mentioned that two officials would come off the ice, and he, he also was quick to say, They'd be in full gear, though, because if yes. anything happens after a whistle, they exit the penalty box pretty quickly to join in and settle things down. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, Todd, but when I heard Rod say this, all, all, all I'm picturing is, you know, when the games are getting pretty tight and things are happening out there and you, you tempers are flaring and it, guys are getting a little feisty, like in the wild Jets game the other day. 
I just picture when the player's ready to go. His, his two minutes are almost up. He's at the penalty box door. He's waiting for the attendant to pop open the gate and let him free. I'm just picturing the, the two officials ready to do the same thing, just, just at the starting gate, <laughs> ready great. to go. Well, see, there's the other thing, is they could operate the gates for penalties to make sure that the players come on and off at the right time as well. So this let's, let's make this work. Here's the other one that I wanted to mention quickly, that it seems like it's such a simple idea, but I think it's a really smart idea. As Brenda Moore stated, only one referee drops the puck for the entire game. That way you get consistency throughout and everybody understands what's going on. I like this idea. Now, I thought that was an interesting one too. Uh, it's something we've looked at at Scouting the Refs. Now, obviously, this has changed over time. The referees used to do more puck dropping than they do today. Currently, it's the referees who drop the puck to start the three regulation periods and that's it. It's linesmen the rest of the way out. So you have two guys dropping the puck for the game, but if you have one, Guys can figure out their tendencies, and, and maybe that's something the league doesn't want. They want to keep that that unpredictability there. But we have looked at, you know, some teams do better or some players do better with certain officials. So I think you you certainly would be scouting who's working the games and understanding what their tendencies were. It's something the league has standardized on how pucks are dropped. It used to be a lot more variation back in the day on how guys would approach it. But I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. It just it adds a little more color, adds a little more personality to the game of the guy that's dropping the puck and how it'll play out. So interesting. And it, it does fit in with the league's philosophy of having the other guy keeping an eye on things for the puck drop. So if you just have that assignment for the whole game, why not? So I think what's going to happen from all of this is that during the, uh, the time that players spend on the bench, they won't be watching their own shifts. They'll be watching how the referee is dropping the puck. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Money! That's it. Nicely done. That's good work.